You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Dan Savage. We uh, have a very special guest today, Dr. Brock Gaster, primary care physician at the University of Washington, where he's also on the faculty. Hey, Brock. Good morning, Dan. Uh, He's joining us to field some of your more picky medical questions that I can't just fucking vamp my way through. Sometimes people throw out questions that I am. I even have to admit that I'm completely unqualified. And sometimes you're wrong. And there are times when I am wrong. um, (laughs) And I rely on my listeners to keep me on, sort of, actually. When have I been wrong in the past? (laughs) Um, you know, just here and there, I hear it, and I, it, I, I get upset. I was like, oh, I better get in there and, and help Dan out. <laughs> so here I am. Sometimes you're wrong, too. <laughs> uh, you were wrong to agree to answer all those questions in my column over the years about piss right, drinking okay. before yeah. Google came along. Because yeah. yeah. now yeah. when you Google your name, you're yeah. mostly sort of linked with the consumption of urine. Yeah. Who, who knew? Who knew that Google, the, the magic of Google would, would change our lives? Would come along, and now you're drowning in I'm a drowning. sea of urine drinking links. I am. Google it yourself, Dr. Brock Gaster. You'll see. (laughs) Your research doesn't come up, just your savage love appearances, which you regret. If you scroll down to the second or third page, then you get to the actual work that I do. (laughs) (laughs) He suffered so, and he's going to handle your questions so that I don't fuck them up. Here we go. Bring it on. Hi, Dan. My name is Sarah, and I was calling because I've been with my partner for a year, but um, when we were first beginning the relationship, I kissed someone else, and my partner believes that in that year that we've been together, that we've been exchanging this other girl's saliva back and forth. She says that she heard that if you kiss someone else, that that other person's saliva can live in your mouth for up to three months. And then if you were to kiss a different person, then that saliva could be transferred back and forth. Anyway, I've got to know if this is true or not so that I can tell her not to worry. Um, I think this is absurd that this, that she could think that this could happen for up to a year, but I need to find out for sure. Oh, right. I think I could have handled this one. I think I could have said, this is what happens when you date the retarded. This is what happens when you date eight-year-old boys. When you, when you date somebody who has a case of the cooties. Yeah, a very bad case of the cooties. Yeah. Or, or, or no brain whatsoever. So, Dr. Barack, I don't want to fuck this up as I <laughs> fucked up so many other complicated medical issues. Does, does the saliva of men I kissed 30 years ago still live in my mouth, and does it leap out at other people that I kiss now? Only, only if the person that you kissed had cooties. <laughs> then, I, is there a test for cooties yeah, now? Yeah. So, um, you know, you can do, like, PCR DNA analysis to look for cooties, but... Um, the reality is, but that's expensive. It's expensive, and so I don't recommend it. And um, you know, yeah, I mean, bacteria is all around us, and and you know, it's it's p- 
people are so uh, paranoid in, in un- irrational ways about sort of germs and um, Can't you just fill your mouth with Purell? Yeah, it's if just, you're worried about residual spit from previous relationships. No, because that's not going to kill all the bacteria in your mouth. You don't want to kill all the bacteria in your mouth. You've got trillions of bacteria. But this in your isn't mouth even about good. That. She's not even asking about bacteria. She believes that I guess we have sort of a limited amount of saliva, and if we get somebody else's saliva in our mouth, it stays there forever, and it gets passed back and forth. Yeah, she's with, talking about germs, and it's silly. And, uh, She's not talking about germs. She's actually talking about saliva. saliva. Yeah, but so, right. So saliva does not survive, and it wouldn't sort of keep replicating in her mouth, and she shouldn't worry. But she shouldn't date this retard anymore. <laughs> she should get a grown-up girlfriend, right? <laughs> she should get a, a bottle of cooties remover, and everything will be fine. Hi, Dan. This question is from Dustin. Um, I was wondering if it is possible to freeze off human nipple, uh, similar to the same way that you'd freeze off like a wart or something at the doctor. Um, I was kind of thinking about using an air duster. When you turn it upside down, it sprays out like some liquid stuff and gets ridiculously cold. Um, I was wondering, you know, if you actually went about doing that, what kind of, uh, I don't know, pleasure or pain it might cause or if the nipple would actually fall off, similar to a wart falling off. So what's the current state of medical research on upside-down air dusters as sex toys? <laughs> safe. Completely safe. You can't actually freeze off a nipple? Um, I mean, you know, he would, he would definitely cause a lot of damage, and he would be left with a giant gaping sort of scab where his nipple used to be. Oh, so you can freeze off a nipple like a wart. But it, but it won't be like a wart because with the, the, the beauty of freezing off a wart is that there's sort of nice, healthy, regular skin under it. So you freeze it off and the regular skin underneath it can sort of sort of regenerate and be fine. But there is not such, like the, the normal healthy skin of that is at the nipple is nipple skin. And if you freeze it off, it's not like normal skin is going to sort of regrow there, and you'll end up with uh, kind of a nasty, ugly-looking scar. So what if you freeze off someone's nipple and you get it in your mouth and then you kiss somebody else? (laughs) Will they have that person's nipple in their mouth forever? They'll have have cooties forever is what they'll have. Um, You know, I mean, so, I mean, so, but people get their nipples removed all the time surgically. I mean, you can definitely sort of. I don't think he actually wants to remove his nipple. He wants to know if. What does he want? He wants to know because he's turned an upside down (laughs) air dust can. uh, He's turned a can of air duster upside down and sprayed it and it's very, very cold. He wants to know if, like, you know, applying ice to someone's nipples is yeah. something that yeah. people do under yeah. doctor's supervision, I hope, at all times. He wants to know if that stuff, that cold stuff that blasts out there is so cold that the nipple will turn to ice, crack, and fall off. And it won't fall off. It'll just sort of get really angry and nasty and scarred up. And fall off. And but Yeah, but it won't fall off like a wart falls off. A wart falls off because there's, like, healthy skin under it. But a nipple does not have skin under it. So you, you say no, don't I do I say this. no, don't do that. Stick to ice cubes yes. and frozen nitrogen. Use air dusters and liquid nitrogen. And liquid nitrogen. For warts. Don't not use it on your nipples. Yes. The doctor has spoken. That was an easy one, too. That wasn't was. It? So, you would have handled that fine. It felt kind of obvious. Like, just, it's a bad idea. <laughs> it just... Yes. It's not a sex toy. It's not a sex toy. No. Hi, Dan. I was wondering, this is a question for... Uh, Dr. Barak, I was wondering uh, if you could ask him what the nutritional content would be, if there is any, to menstrual blood. I ask this because I know placenta blood 
has been used for oral and facial enhancements or for some nutritional value uh, inherent to menstrual blood, um, to placenta blood, rather. So I was wondering if menstrual blood has any and um, if there's any harm in your partner ingesting it (laughs) or yourself ingesting it. Now, I don't know if placenta is nutritious. I do know that it's a good substitute for shortening in a pie crust. But what about menstrual blood? Um, Yeah. I mean, menstrual blood is blood, and uh, blood is nutritious. Uh, You know, lots of people uh, drink cattle blood all over the world and live on it and are healthy. Excuse me, what? Cattle blood. See, now, if I was listening at home, I would think, Brock Astor, he just fucked that up. That can't be true. Um, you know, and so, but I'm not an armchair podcaster. Right. I don't list, sit at home and criticize other people who are doing right. their podcasts. And you know, and, and you know, and I'm a doctor. I'm supposed to be open-minded. Stuff like this isn't supposed to yuck me out. But drinking menstrual blood is kind of yucky, Dan. And um, and so, this is like why I'm always nervous coming on your show. But I think that we're getting the icky ones out of the way at the top. So it's going it's all smooth work. It's like the roller coaster going up. It's all smooth sailing after this. Um, and so you know, it, it's uh, pretty nutritious and pretty safe, I guess. Is it safe to ingest blood? Yeah, for sure, your own blood. You know, I mean, there's like some tiny risks of spreading dis- bloodborne diseases if you're drinking other people's blood. Um, it seems high risk for what hepatitis, HIV, yeah. Once again, yeah, right. I guess I wouldn't call any of them high risk though, because your your stomach is pretty good at. I mean, most diseases that are bloodborne, that are sort of present in the blood and transmitted through blood, you your your the your mouth and your stomach are pretty good at sort of protecting you from. And so I would say that. I, I would drinking other people's blood would be not a no risk activity, but a relatively lowish. But risk. say you're in a long term monogamous <laughs> heterosexual the relationship, blood relationship, not a blood drinking relationship. Just like going, you know, this comes up. I get <laughs> questions about this. I know it doesn't come up in uh-huh. doctor land, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we here in sex advice line get this question all the yeah, time. Yeah. Going down on your partner yeah, during vampire, her period, you're fine. Yes. So right. Right. Going you're down. fluid bonded. You don't use condoms. You're yeah. relatively certain of each right. other's health. Is that okay? It is. Yes, it's good. It's fine. It's I, right. It's more than okay. It's good. And blood is. Uh, blood you is, end up with a big bozo the clown mouth, right? <laughs> you end up looking like Heath Ledger in the Joker. Uh, as the Joker. Blood is uh, is safe to drink. At, you know, aside from you know the small risks of spreading uh, infection, uh, blood is safe to drink and. Probably pretty nutritious, just because uh, you know it's got a lot of protein and stuff. Will it live forever in your mouth, like someone else's saliva, or their frozen off nipples? <laughs> Only if they have cooties. Hi, Dan. This is Madeline. I'm from the Midwest. Um, so throughout my life, I've had issues with depression. I've been on three different antidepressants, but now I've found one that works, Effexor, which has crazy side effects. But it's been working for me with pretty much no side effects for the past four years. Except I've never had an orgasm. Um, I probably started experimenting sexually, masturbating, etc. in my early teens, which was when I was diagnosed with depression and started going on antidepressants. And I know there are side effects related to it, and I'm not sure if it's just me or if it's the side effects. It could be just me because I was also molested for eight years. And I haven't gone through trauma counseling for that because I don't want to put my life on hold for three months 
and I'm at the point where I can say it happened, I'm okay. I'm currently in a relationship with a guy who's great. He, he'll do anything sexually. He doesn't care that I'm not orgasmic as long as I enjoy intercourse. Um, except that, you know, it would be nice to have one. It would be nice to know if it's me or if it's something else environmentally that's doing something to me, um, either past thoughts about being molested or the antidepressant. All right, there's a lot going on here, and if we apply Occam's razor, the most obvious answer probably is the correct one, and the most obvious answer seems to be this woman has her head in her ass. <laughs> oh, that's so mean. She was molested for a year. She, hasn't, she doesn't want to invest three months in therapy to eliminate that possibility. But, you know, the most obvious thing is the antidepressants, which typically have a huge impact on people's libidos. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so complicated to try to explain and understand what happens with how antidepressants affect uh, sexual function. And, um, and did, did you know, Dan, that people's sexuality is really complicated? I had no idea, actually. <laughs> And so, I mean, so trying to sort of figure out why is somebody having problems with sexual function is so complicated and so multifactorial. And everyone always wants to read back and find the one thing, the holy grail, say, Eureka, this is it. Yeah, right. And there are there are non-orgasmic young women her age who were not molested who aren't antidepressants. Yeah, I mean, so antidepressants definitely can cause. Problems with sexual function, and it's and it's a combination of somewhat of decreased libido and sometimes some part of a uh, problem with the the orgasm mechanism. So people have the trouble having orgasms or are not able to have orgasm at all sometimes when they're on an antidepressant. But then it gets so complicated because depression causes problems with sexual function too and so it's so complicated to figure out is the problems that people are having with sexual function because of their antidepressant or because of their depression or because of the many other things that can get in the way of residual saliva from past partner normal health functioning so um so it's so hard to say and yeah no question that she should start with getting counseling and, and trying to sort out whether her her past troubles are uh, are affecting her sexual function now um, and and so and so the key question is how much of her sexual function problem started once she went on antidepressants versus was there before and if they started after she started antidepressants then she should really sort of work through that with her doctor because there are... And you can recalibrate your dosage. There's a lot of... You can. Things you can try. People have found that if they switch... Antidepressants. Medications or they take a lower dose. Yep. Their libido can come roaring back. And in this in this week's in this very week's issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association, there's a an article a study about giving Viagra to women who are having sexual dysfunction because of their antidepressant, and it really did look like it was effective. So it really did look Don't like... Don't want to step on your toes, but I read that study too. And it said that women... Studies have shown that just giving Viagra to women who aren't on antidepressants doesn't have much of an effect, but giving it to women who are on antidepressants, it kind of worked like gangbusters, which is odd. It is odd, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that it, it's a complicated story, 
such that I wouldn't say it's an absolute uh, slam dunk that this would work for somebody, but I think this is enough of a uh, of a positive result from a study that it would be worth trying. And it definitely works much better for people who feel like they have a normal libido but are having problems having an orgasm. So people who are, their main problem is libido, then a, a medicine like Viagra is less likely to help. But if they feel like their libido is great, but they are just having trouble having an orgasm, then I think uh, trying Viagra or other drugs like it would be worth, worth a try. Do you have any professional relationship with Pfizer? I don't. Hey, Dan, this might be a question for your doctor guy or maybe even the science dude if you uh, get him in again. Um, I've already asked a few doctors, and they didn't really know what to say to me. My question is, when a guy's energy level drops and he feels sleepy uh, for a few minutes, like 45 seconds after he shoots a load, what is going on chemically? Um, And is there a way to minimize that energy drop by eating a lot of vegetables or drinking a lot of uh, Gatorade or something. The reason I'm asking is I'm one of those people who's had a shitty immune system since I was a kid with lots of colds and allergies and ear, nose, and throat stuff. Um, I'm 35 now, and I still get that energy drop for a few minutes after I come, but I've also slowly developed this thing where, like clockwork, 45 seconds after I come, my throat becomes very dehydrated for a few minutes, like the moisture is getting sucked out of it to be used somewhere else in my body or something. Um, My theory is that whatever cum is made of, like not just the protein in the sperm, but the amino acids and citric acids in the seminal fluid, I looked all this up on the internet, um, it has to be replenished somehow so the body kicks in and starts to do stuff. And in my case, I feel this temporary dehydration in the throat as um, things begin to move around. But I have no idea if I'm right. And I've asked doctors and they just dismissed it by asking me if I shout a lot when I come. And I I make noise sometimes, but that's not what this feels like. It's not a hoarse throat from using my vocal cords. It's like an internal um, sucking of moisture from my throat. Um, I also asked an Eastern homeopathic dude about it, and he said something about the energy system for the gonads being shared with your respiratory system, but it just sounded like he was telling me what I wanted to hear. So I don't know. If uh, your doctor or the science guy could shed some light on what cum is made of and what happens when you lose it from your body, that would be awesome. Oh, and yeah, this friend of mine suggested I should just eat my own cum afterward if I feel like I need to replenish my amino acids or whatever. And I mean, I'm gay, but I'm not a big cum eater, certainly not after I shoot my load. So there's a bit of a paradox there. Thanks a lot. We don't want to contradict a, a homeopath, but is there a respiratory testicle connection? Is the Are the lung bones connected to the ball bones? When he has an orgasm, do his balls immediately start sucking the saliva out of his whole body and uh, drying out his throat? I don't know, Dan. <laughs> Why are you here if you don't know the answer to these questions? Right, I mean, you're the so, doctor. You're doctor guy. Yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> um, you know, I, so the way that I think, uh, the way I would think of this is that the odds that it really has anything to do with the physical loss of the seminal fluid is really, really small. And that, um, you know, just just say he's an idiot. You were making, you were rolling your eyes or listening to the call. Just say like all his theories, 
<laughs> the doc, the doctor. This is the theory is, of evolution here. This is the theory of crackpot. The doctor guy does not like to denigrate your callers, Sam. And so what I would say is I'll that, take care of that yeah. So you know, think of an orgasm as like a uh, a really really powerful chemical thing that's happening in your brain, and you know it's it's. It has it sort of maps onto a lot of the same sort of brain circuitry that uh, that drug use does. You know that uh, that just like after uh, you know after drinking a lot or uh, smoking a lot of marijuana, you're going to feel kind of hungover afterwards. So right after an orgasm, you're going to feel kind of like kind of weak and, and depleted. Just and and that's like a brain chemistry thing. It has nothing to do with uh, the fluids and amino acids and antioxidants or uh, whatever he feels like he's. It's not that hormone that's in turkey that makes you sleepy on yeah. Thanksgiving that suddenly released all everybody. Yeah, and so I mean, this is you know so. You know, having an orgasm is is being high on life, which is a good thing, and it's going to sort of leave you kind of a little bit hungover for a few minutes afterwards, and it's not a big deal, and there's nothing you can, can I do bet about you, it, and go for it. You're banging away, you're breathing heavily in and out, which could dry your throat out, but when you're aroused, all sorts of, uh, you know, blood and fluids go to all your, what are those tissues called? Mucous membranes, yeah. which include your mouth and your throat. You produce more saliva. Some people's noses run while they're fucking, and they, they produce a lot of snot. And then you come, and it's over. It all recedes, and it makes you feel like your throat is dry, compared yeah. to what it was a moment ago when you were banging your heart. Yeah, out. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a super intense, you know, Now, if I said that and you were listening at home, would you think, wrong, and you're just too polite to say it? Um, I'm always polite when I'm here with you, Dan. I've got nothing. But at home, you just go, wrong, and pound your hands onto the table, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so yeah, he's uh, he's 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 fine. He's healthy. He's normal. And but he's wrong. He's, there's nothing that he can do about it. But if he wants to eat his own load and send us a video of JPEG, we're we have, we're happy to review that for him. Hi, Dan. This is Craig. Uh, I'm 27, uh, straight male, and uh, for a long time I've been have had a problem with premature ejaculation, which has always gotten in the way of me really enjoying sex, um, and is something that only recently have I really decided to to deal with in any sort of way. I've tried a few techniques that have just kind of discouraged me, like trying to masturbate and then squeeze the head, as you see, recommended a lot on the always reliable internet. Um, as I say, this has been discouraging and not particularly effective. I don't know if that is effective, and I'm just not giving myself enough of a chance. But um, anyway, I decided to ask my friendly HMO about this issue because I know there are medical problems that can sometimes be at the root of this kind of thing. Um, and long story short, they had recently they put me on Prozac, 20 milligrams of a generic Prozac. Uh, and so I just wanted to know what you had to say about that. Is there anything they want to put you on Prozac for these days? He says he has premature ejaculation, walks in, and he leaves with a Prozac prescription. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a perfectly legitimate, reasonable thing to try because uh, antidepressants, like we've been talking about, um, definitely can uh, affect your orgasmia and so inhibit it slow it down yeah, slow it down right and so it's you know so in women it can make you anorgasmic so unable to have an orgasm in men it can definitely delay orgasm which can be a great effect for somebody who has premature ejaculation and so absolutely worth trying not to say he couldn't have some other side effects from the Prozac in which case it wouldn't work out well for him but and the he, side effects of Prozac include now studies have shown blowing your brains out no, so, no, no, no. There's been some linkage 
linkage between Prozac consumption. Discredited linkage. In, in, so maybe... Don't contradict me on my own show. You can contradict <laughs> me in your living room at home. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, so that's been discredited? Um, and had a, in a really, really, really tiny group of people who have depression, antidepressants can sort of make you a little bit crazier. And so if you were already sort of contemplating uh, suicide, then maybe there's some small risk that you could actually uh, do it. But on average, if you look at thousands and thousands of people, um, your odds of committing suicide on antidepressant are lower than if you're depressed and not on an antidepressant. Okay, so and this Prozac prescription, being on Prozac for the rest of your life, to just to delay orgasm a little bit, is that smart? Is that wise? Yeah, that it doesn't have to be the rest of his life. He can try it out, and if it helps him a lot, then he could keep taking it. He could sort of take it intermittently. Um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, if this is a problem that's really affecting the quality of his life a lot, then potentially using Prozac for this is perfectly reasonable. Lots and lots of people are on Prozac for years and decades and the rest of their life, and it helps them a lot, and it's perfectly safe and does He's, not cause any problems. He says he tried squeezing the head. Would you recommend that he try an upside-down can of air duster <laughs> that he spray the head <laughs> instead? No, I do, would not recommend that. Uh, hey, Dan. Uh, so I met this girl, and we got along really well, and everything's been going great. And for the first few weeks, every time it seems like we've been walking along, holding hands and everything, and it seems like it would be appropriate to, to have a kiss. And she would kind of beg me off. It would become awkward. And so after a few weeks of this, I start to get a little confused and a little frustrated. And um, until she explained to me that she was infected with HPV-18, which is a um, cancer-causing strain of the HPV virus, and that she would be, she would hate to infect me, and um, hence anyone else that I were to be with for the rest of my life, um, and also that they she had had a medical procedure shortly after I met her to remove cancerous cells. And so it's a very heavy, thick thing that's going on with her. And I've been trying to be very supportive and, and all of that with her. But um, my question is, is there a future? Is there something that we can do to continue this relationship? Because we're still friends and the sexual tension is still there. And um, is there kissing or rubbing or, you know, either mutual masturbation or whatever that can happen so we can continue our relationship without, um, you know, getting anyone sick? Um, or if this is something where I should uh, keep my hands to myself and um, just be friends. Before we get to the specifics of this guy's question, uh, give us the background on HPV really quickly and the different strains. Okay, so, you know, there's so many different strains of HPV, and um, it's exciting. And what is HPV? So HPV is human papillomavirus. It's the virus that causes both the warts that are on people's hands and bottoms of their feet and warts that are on their genitals, and it can also cause cervical cancer. 
And so, but it's big, exciting, good news that we've identified a virus that causes cervical cancer because it means that we can actually prevent the transmission of that virus with a vaccine and uh, and do even more to wipe out cervical cancer than we're already doing. And we have the vaccine now, tested right here in Seattle. Yep, yep, and it works. But it's too late for this guy's girlfriend because she's already infected. Yeah, and and so this leads to um, the really sort of sad, unfortunate side of this this great discovery, which is that so many people um, are get get diagnosed. They sort of are told that they have HPV, and it sort of throws them into this sort of spiral of sort of fear and depression that is completely unwarranted because sort of human papillomaviruses are so common. They're you know, so many people uh, have them. A small fraction of people who have them can go on to develop cervical cancer, but that can be, even if you have HPV, you can be completely uh, uh, prevented from getting cervical cancer, and so it really won't cause you any bad medical problems. And so, so many people sort of are now sort of walking around thinking of themselves as sick because they've been told that they have HPV or being told that, you know, they have to be careful because they're contagious. But the reality is that it's it's really such a minor tiny thing in people's lives and uh, and just should not be it should not be uh, causing this kind of distress in people's now lives. when he says she has HPV 18 which is a cancer-causing strain of the virus people with HPV 18 or any cancer-causing strain of the virus aren't necessarily going to get cancer only a small fraction of those people will develop cancer-like symptoms right and it, and and if you if you know you have HPV 18 and so then you can be sort of regularly screened for development of sort of precancerous lesions then your risk of getting cancer is really really close to zero and and your risk of spreading that virus to somebody else is really low and your risk of and even if you did spread it to someone else your risk of that person having any negative medical effects of getting that that uh, HPV would be so low, and so um, and so just really, I, I mean, so I think she would do really well to to talk to her doctor more about this, and then maybe even talk to a counselor about it to to uh, to try to allay what sounds like a lot of unnecessary irrational fear. fears. She seems to happening. think she can never have, be sexually. You call it you, you call it irrational. I call it unnecessary. Tomato, tomato. I feel like we have to explain to people why you always sound so nervous when you record the show with me because we actually play strip guest expert with every call Barack has to remove an eye and we're clothing. towards the end. <laughs> He's got nothing left on. We're going to give him a Brazilian for the next call. Um, the other thing about HPV that seems to complicate all discussions of it is that for reasons we don't understand, or maybe we do now, because maybe there's new research that I haven't read yet because I don't have a JAMA subscription like you do, the body sometimes clears the virus. People can have HPV at a stage of their life and be free from it at a later stage. Most of, their of the life. time, that happens. That happens most of the time. Yep. So it would really be sad for this girl to go through life thinking she is a disease pariah and can never be sexually active ever again. Yes. Yeah. And and even and even right now, like she, this should not be affecting. Uh, her sexual life with somebody who she's in a uh, mutual monogamous relationship with. And um, and so I would just really say uh, not a big deal. I would second your advice that she get into counseling because what I think is probably going on is she was sexually active, 
got a really common STI that there's a lot of misinformation out there about and is scared of sex now and is scared of being sexually active, not so much to protect him, but to protect herself. She just kind of wants to, like, wall sex out yep. of her life for a while. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a, a terrible thing to do yeah. if you need to create some space for yourself. Maybe she's not ready to be sexually active again, but it's not something she should do forever, and she would do well to speak to a counselor. Yeah. Yeah. So people should get the HPV vaccine, and if, they're, if they find out that they have a strain of HPV, they should take a deep breath and, and talk to their doctor about it and not worry. Now, what about HPV and men? There's been some reports of oral cancers and also anal cancers being related to HPV, and there's discussion of whether or not males should be vaccinated against HPV, because right now the, the, the vaccine is only recommended for women, for young girls. Right, and um, the odds are really, really high that the vaccine works in men as well. Uh, there's, there's studies to test that that have not been completed yet, so the FDA has not approved its use in men. Um, and the the people who make recommendations about vaccines have not recommended it for men yet. But it's that's almost certainly going to happen in the next year or two. The vaccine is available, so and any doctor can can prescribe it for a man, even though it hasn't been FDA approved for that use. And um, and I would recommend that for young men who are sexually active with multiple sexual partners. And so. This guy, maybe he could reassure his girlfriend by being vaccinated himself if he can be tested and shown not to already be infected with Absolutely. HPV. Absolutely. Money well spent. Yes, I was calling to suggest, um, I heard one of your old podcasts and that I heard a woman talk about um, how she gets constant urinary tract infections and I have had that problem myself. I was going to offer this advice. I... Um, got sick of that problem as well, being on drugs and all that stuff. So went to a cold doctor, and he he uh, shared with me the Chinese acupressure point that you can rub that's on the outside of your heel, just above your, or it's almost next to your Achilles tendon. Anyway, you can rub it. it. It probably hurts when you rub it, and that's how you know when you're there. It's right near that knobby bone structure just below that anyway um hope that helps some people and uh yeah i haven't had one ever since i started rubbing it and i just rub it every time day and then also your advice about staying clean was um right on you're a practitioner of western medicine would you like to take this opportunity to piss all over eastern medicine (laughs) um actually no dan i think that uh you know I, i i think that there is if you look at all of alternative medicine, I am actually of the view that uh, acupuncture and acupressure um, have a lot more to them than uh, many other uh, forms of alternative medicine that can be sort of iffy. And whether it's working because of the placebo effect or something more, I don't know, but there have been just tons of studies where people are randomized to get acupuncture or not, and if they get acupuncture, they whatever that was ailing them does get better. And so is there a relationship between rubbing your Achilles tendon 
above the heel until it hurts <laughs> and not getting urinary tract infection. The knobby point on your ankle. Um, who knows? I don't know. And, you know, she says that it works. She also said she started bathing about the same time. Do you think that might have had some relationship to the decrease in her urinary tract infection problems? Bathing is good. Bathing Bathing's is a good. total conspiracy right. foisted on us by HMOs <laughs> and Western medicine. Pharmaceutical industry. Um, yeah, and so... They're I, in bed with the liquid soap industry and the shampoo industry. They're just trying to con us into bathing. What we need to do is stop bathing and just rub our feet and our urinary tract infections will dry up. Yeah, I mean, so this could be all placebo effect. It could be uh, it could be bathing, but for whatever... Could be. For, for what it's worth. You're, you're way out there on a limb with that bathing crack. I salute her for having found something that works for her. And, uh, and if other people can't find something else that works, then good. What about spray air dusters and urinary tract infections? If you just clean out your urethra with a little freezing cold blast of air. What if you burn off your bladder? <laughs> Tuck a Prozac in your urethra? Would, would it fall off? Would your bladder fall off? And we'll leave it there. Um, we always enjoy having you on the show. You don't look like you enjoy being on the show. You're in the fetal position with the microphone curled up between your legs by the end of it. I, I do it for you and for your listeners, Dan. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Dr. Brock Gasser, our occasional guest expert and frequent yeller at the podcast when I'm uh, trying to field ineptly medical questions myself. Um, I'd have you on more often if you'd come on. <laughs> Once a month? <laughs> uh, Dr. Brock Gaster, primary care doc and a member of the faculty of the University of Washington here in Seattle. Uh, if you have medical questions, send them our way and we'll save them up for the next uh, time we can con him into the building. 206-201-2720 is the number if you want to record a question for a future podcast. And you download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with our installment of the podcast. 